0: Welcome to First Church. It's great to see you guys. I'm excited to be here. If you're new, my name's Chad. Welcome, and it looks like we have a great crowd here on site. I know we've got people worshiping in our modern hymn service right now, as well as a bunch of other people online. I just looked, and we've got Jillian, who's in Iowa, worshiping with us right now, Jacob in Missouri, and Aubrey, who's in Claremore. So if you would, put your hands together. Welcome in them and all the rest who are joining us online. (laughs) Glad to have all you guys. And we are in week four, the final week of our series, Reclaimed. And as I thought about today, I thought, man, I cannot believe that we are like just a few days away from Thanksgiving. Isn't that crazy? I mean, this year has flown by that this is Thanksgiving week. And so I started to think about that, and a story came to mind that I heard a few years ago. A friend of mine told it. You guys may know the name Dave Stone. He was the lead minister at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville. One of the largest churches in America for years. And he tells the story of a student minister he had on staff. And that student minister played a joke on his mom through a text conversation and I was able to get some screenshots of that text conversation and I want to share it with you today. So this student minister at Southeast he texted his mom this, he's a young guy and he said hey, we're doing a Friendsgiving thing at the last minute. I got a 25 pound turkey, how long should I cook it in the microwave? No microwave, by the way, if you ever type something in all caps, it means you're yelling at the person, okay? No microwave, probably five to six hours at 350 degrees. People are coming over here around 4.30. I googled it and I think I can make the microwave thing work. I'm pretty sure I can get the temperature right. I've never heard of microwaving a turkey, his mom replied. Don't you just keep it going until it gets hot enough inside? Well, that will be a great experiment. No, I think a confection oven is your best bet. And he responds, it's frozen. We don't have time for the oven. So she comes back and says, oh, I don't think that's going to work. It has to be thawed. Get a turkey breast and cook that. Get two. We really want a whole turkey. What are microwaves for? Cooking food fast, right? So how long do you think? It's about 20 to 25 pounds. Microwaves are for just certain foods," she replies, not meat. Pretty sure there's a meat button on ours. You could bake it in the microwave, that's meat. Google it. And then the mom responds after a few minutes, I called the Butterball hotline. They said, stop your son. Do not let him microwave a frozen turkey. It will explode and hurt him. It was a joke, mom. I'm not microwaving a turkey. (laughs) So if you don't hear anything else I say today, this Thanksgiving, do not microwave a frozen turkey, all right? You have been warned. Now, why did I share that with you? It's because there are some things in life for which there are no shortcuts. You've probably heard this said before. There are no shortcuts to any destination really worth going. And yet, we try to take them at times. In our world today, people want to... Get rich fast, or have success fast, or achieve some goal fast. And so they look for shortcuts to get there. But oftentimes what happens is those shortcuts just lead to more disappointment. And we don't actually reach the destination we were trying to get to. And believe it or not, this is a biblical principle. The book of Proverbs says this. It says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity. But hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. See, what the Bible is trying to tell us is is there are some things in life that just take hard work and planning and there are no shortcuts that you can take in order to achieve those things. And one of those things is our spiritual life, our relationship with Jesus. See, I think what God wants us to know is that if you want to have a healthy relationship with Jesus, there's no shortcuts that you can take. You've got to invest in that relationship You've got to spend time with him. You've got to make sure that you want it and that you are, that you are seeking him with all of your heart. See, we've been in this series here right now called Reclaimed. And we've been talking about how Jesus came to reclaim our lives. So he came to reclaim us from our brokenness and reclaim us from the dominion of darkness. And hopefully this series has been an encouragement to you. As we've been talking about how God uses broken people that he's reclaimed in order to do great works. But here's the thing, there's an important truth that I don't want for us to miss, and that's why I'm covering it as we wrap up the series today. And it's this, Jesus came not just to reclaim our eternity, he also came to reclaim our everyday lives. And this is what I mean by that. See, sometimes when we think about God reclaiming us, or Jesus redeeming us, or restoring us, we just think about Jesus forgiving our sins. He paid the price for our sins on the cross, and that's true. But you see, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord, we were baptized into Him. We didn't just receive the forgiveness of our sins. We did get that. But also we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit now dwells within us, empowering us, enabling us, so that we can follow God's plan for our lives, so that we can become more and more like our God. See, we're not... we don't just receive the forgiveness of sins, but also we are transformed, and that's an ongoing process as God's Spirit continues to dwell within us. The more time we spend with Jesus, the more we will start to look like Him. And maybe you've seen this license plate or bumper sticker, maybe you've seen it on a t-shirt that says, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. And I understand the sentiment behind that, and if you have this on your car, if you've have this t-shirt, I'm not upset with you, I'm not going to make fun of you. It's fine, it's true, but I don't think it's the whole story. See, it's not that Christians are just forgiven, we're also changed, we're also transformed so that the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we start to look like him. That's why in Galatians chapter 5, it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And pause right there. In other words, when this new life that Jesus offers us is planted within us, when we have God's Spirit dwelling inside of us, the fruit of that, what we will produce, is God's character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I want you to notice that the word fruit is singular. It doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit are, but the fruit, meaning all of these things, all of God's character, should be what we are developing. Now, if I were to replace my name right there and say, Chad is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, my wife would tell you I fall short in some of those areas, okay? I'm not there yet. But that's the work that God is doing within me, so that Even though I'm not going to be perfect on this side of heaven, God is going to continue to work in my lives when I let him so that I will look more and more like him, so that I will look more and more like this. And that's why Galatians goes on to say, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. That's what it means to be Spirit-filled. Now, sometimes people come to me and say, hey, are you Spirit-filled? Is your church Spirit-filled? And that can mean a thousand different things to a thousand different people. But this is what the Apostle Paul says. Paul says that the person who keeps in step with the Spirit, the person who lives by the Spirit, is the person who demonstrates the character of God in their daily lives. And that should be our primary goal. It doesn't matter if you can do anything else for God. It doesn't matter if you have any other talents or abilities. If you're not demonstrating the character of God on an increasing way, in an increasing way, day by day, then you're missing what's most important. And that's why we get verses like this in Hebrews 10, verse 14. That it says, by one sacrifice, he, speaking about Jesus, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, does that make any sense? So when we accept Jesus' sacrifice, we're made perfect forever, but then we're still being made holy? That's how it works. Because when we first follow Jesus as our Lord, he declares us righteous before God. We are fully forgiven. Our sins, the price of our sins, is paid. We are forgiven 100% before God. But how many of you, after you accepted Jesus, continued to sin? We all did, right? We all have. And so we're not instantly perfect in this body. Sin still exists in us through tendency and habit. And so that's what the Spirit is doing inside of us working within us so that we can overcome those temptations, overcome our bad habits, overcome our flaws, our sin, and become increasingly more and more like our Father in heaven. And for me, this is great news. This is good news. Because I know my life doesn't have to remain what it's been. In other words, now when I do sin, when I do mess up, and I do, I don't have to get down. I don't have to get discouraged. I don't have to think, well, my salvation is lost or anything like that. But I can have the confidence of knowing that my salvation is secure before my Heavenly Father because of Jesus. And that He is still working in me so that I can move beyond what I'm dealing with today. God continues to work in me so that I don't have to be the same guy tomorrow that I was today or the day before. And He continues to transform my life. So that I can increasingly look more and more like him. We sing a song here. It's called My Testimony. It's by Elevation Worship. And you probably remember these lines. If I'm not dead, you're not done. Greater things are still to come. I love that. As long as we are living. As long as we are breathing. God is continuing to work in us. To transform us and change us into who he designed us to be. And so maybe right now you've given up on yourself. Maybe right now you think, I can never be more than what I am right now. Maybe you think you're never going to overcome some temptation or desire that you're dealing with right now. You may have given up on yourself, but God hasn't given up on you. He wants to continue to work in your lives. And if you're not dead, he's not done working on you yet. But the key is, will we let him? Because we must allow for God to work in us... Before, he can do everything he wants to do through us. And that's the point that Jesus is going to make when he tells a pretty well-known parable in Mark chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be today. And we've been studying different parables of Jesus in this series. Because these parables that Jesus told, they were stories where he used familiar language to illustrate unfamiliar truths. He used earthly language to illustrate heavenly spiritual truths. And he tells these parables to describe to us what the reclaimed life is supposed to look like. And so we're going to look at another one of these parables today. It's found in Mark chapter 4. It's also found in Matthew and Luke's Gospels as well. But basically what's going on is Jesus has a big crowd around him. And the crowd is so big that he has to get into a boat to teach them. He gets into a boat just off the water's edge and he teaches the crowds that were gathered near him. What a scene to behold. I mean that would have been cool to see Jesus preaching and teaching from this boat. And as he's teaching from the boat, Mark tells us that he taught the people many things through parables. And then we get one of those parables, and it goes like this, Mark 4, verse 3. Listen, Jesus says, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I think it's interesting. Did you notice how Jesus started off telling this parable? Listen, you know, just one word, listen. And then at the end of the parable, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, listen again, listen and understand what I'm saying here. Jesus wants us to get what he's saying because he's making an extremely important point for our lives. I just wrapped up uh, coaching my I don't know how many number of soccer seasons again this past uh, weekend. It was the end of the fall soccer season. I coached my son and my daughter again and I was coaching my son in an end of the season tournament that took place in Broken Arrow. And we had gone through the entire season and we had won our league and we had won a previous tournament. Now we're in this Broken Arrow tournament which was a lot bigger, had a lot more teams in it, a lot more competition and we ended up making it to the championship game which was awesome because we had been in this tournament before and not made it very far. So our team, we made Made it to the championship game, and we ended up losing in the game one to nothing. It was a close game, almost had it, but we lost one to nothing. So we still came home runners up, second place, and we were proud and we were excited. The kids got medals, and so it was worth it all, you know. But in order to get to the championship game, In the semifinals, we had to win in overtime because at the end of regulation, the score was 2-2. to So we played one overtime period. And then we played another overtime period. And then after the second overtime period, they went to a shootout, meaning we had to put up five players. The other team put up five players, and we had to take penalty kicks to see who would win the game. Now, in a season, if there's a tie, it's just a tie. But in a tournament, you have to determine a winner so you can move on. So my team had never done this before. Some of my kids didn't even know what a shootout was. you know. So we get to the shootout period, and they're all excited and they're pumped and they're talking. And I'm going to take a shot. No, I want to play goalie. No, I want to do this. Oh, this is how this works. They're all talking at one time and it's chaos and I'm trying to get their attention and they're just not listening. They're just so excited, so pumped up. They're just not listening and so finally I said, guys, shut up and listen to me. Now, that was not my best moment as a coach. I get it, but hey, I'm Jesus is still working on me. Okay, so anyway, in that moment, I was like, guys, shut up and just listen. And they all got quiet because normally I don't talk to them like that, you know, and they got quiet like this is a big deal. And then I told them, this is how a shootout works. This is who's going to take the shots. This is what we're going to do. This is the strategy. I went through and I explained it, and they all listened. And we went out, and we did our shootout, and we ended up winning the game. And our team went nuts. The fans went nuts. It was crazy. But after it was all done, one of the little boys on my team came up to me, and he said, Coach. Thank you for telling us to shut up. We needed to, And I'm like, yeah, I know. That's why I said it. So there are some times in life we just, we just need to stop and listen. And that's what Jesus here is saying. Pay attention to what I'm saying. And Jesus uses an illustration that all of his listeners would have understood. This is an agrarian society. So they were all used to farming techniques and farming practices. And what Jesus does is he, he compares this new life that God wants to give us to see this planet planted in the soil. And what he's telling us is our father has a deep desire to plant new life in every human heart. See, God wants to plant new life in us. New life that grows and flourishes, prospers, and produces more fruit. More fruit that changes the world around us. But here's the thing, even though God wants for that to happen choice to ours whether we will let that happen. Because what Jesus tells us is there are threats to this new life that God wants to give us. Things like rocks and birds and weeds and droughts. And there's no need for us to guess what these things represent or mean because this is one of those rare occasions when Jesus actually explains the parable for us. He tells his disciples this. He says the farmer sows the word, so the seed represents the word, the message of Jesus, the good news, the truth of God. Some people are like seed along the path. Where the word is sown, and as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away still others are like the seed sown among thorns or weeds they hear the word but the worries of this life the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke strangle the word making it unfruitful others like seeds sown on good soil hear the word accept it and produce a crop 30 60 or even 100 times what was sown So there's no need for us to guess here what Jesus is talking about. He lets us know. So let me break it down like this. The farmer represents God, or maybe Jesus, who puts the word out there that has the power to change people's lives. The seed, of course, represents God's word, the message of Jesus. The soil, well, that's us. That's our hearts. That's our lives. We're the ones who receive God's word. And then the birds, the rocks, the thorns, those are threats to our spiritual growth, threats to our spiritual maturity and productivity. So the illustration here is pretty simple. But I think sometimes we miss exactly what Jesus is trying to say. See, we've often referred to this parable as the parable of the sower. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because I guess if God is the center of every story, ultimately, then it's fine to name the parable after him if he's the sower, you know. But really, I think better name for this parable is the parable of the soils. Because the whole point of this parable is to examine the different soils and see what soil describes you. See, the whole point of this story is Jesus is asking what soil best describes the condition of your heart. Because God is doing something in this world. God is working and he is putting his word, his life-changing word out there. But how are you receiving it? What are you doing with it? See, God wants to produce something. Remember what we said a few weeks ago in the series? God is a multiplier. God wants to do something. He's the one that owns the field. He's the one that owns the land. And He expects for His land to do something. And dirt that is unused is wasted potential. He expects for us to be produced something. And the way that we produce something for Him is through His Word. See, seed has life, life-producing power. A little seed that looks dead, that doesn't look like a whole lot, pretty insignificant. A little seed is able to produce explosive, life-giving power. And that's what God's Word does for us. See, His Word, it isn't just some antiquated rules and some old book. His word is alive and active, and it has the power to change our lives and change the very world around us. The message of Jesus has explosive, life-giving power. That's why in the New Testament, it tells us this. It says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring, what? Word of God. That's why Paul writes this. He says in 2 Timothy 3.16, God has breathed life into all Scripture. When we open up God's Word and we examine God's plan, we are taking in the very life breath of God. God has breathed His life into it so that it will give us life. And when when we receive His plan, His purposes for our lives, then God causes our spiritual lives to grow. Now, what's interesting is... Time and time again, when Jesus started to preach about the kingdom of God, the Jews who were listening to him would get all excited because they were all about a new kingdom coming. And they would hear Jesus preach and teach about the kingdom of God, and amen, Jesus, come on, bring it, we want this new kingdom. And what did they have in mind? They had in mind a political revolution. That's what they wanted. They wanted somebody to kick Caesar out of office. And they wanted to take over the world politically speaking. That's what they wanted. So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, amen, come on. But they had the wrong definition of the kingdom. And that's why Jesus over and over again will say my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not something you can actually like see but it's in you. That's what he says over and over again. He tries to explain, no, 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 I'm not coming to start a kingdom that's going to rule by the sword or rule by spear. I am starting a kingdom that is going to rule men's hearts. And a kingdom that rules by the sword is a fifth-rate kingdom, but a kingdom that rules men's hearts is a first-rate kingdom, and God's kingdom is first-rate. And so when Jesus would say the kingdom of God is at hand, the people would say, okay, let's go get weapons, let's go fight, let's go take over the political world as we know it. And Jesus never picked up a sword. Jesus never picked up a spear. He never led a political revolution. He didn't pick up a protest sign. You know what Jesus did over and over and over and over and over again? Taught people. Preached to people. Shared who God was with people. And no one has made a greater impact on our world than Jesus Christ. Because the seed, the word of God, has explosive, life-changing power when it's able to do its work within us. And so Jesus basically presents four different ways that people receive God's word. The hard path, the shallow soil, the crowded soil, and lastly, the productive soil. And he's asking, which are you? Now, here's what I want for you to realize. All of these soils... Receive God's word. All of them did. The word hit all of them at one point or another. But they each responded to the word differently. See, sometimes I think we get the wrong idea. People say, you know, we need more spiritual growth. We need more spiritual growth. And what they mean by that is we need more knowledge. And don't get me wrong. I think biblical knowledge is essential to our spiritual growth and development. Don't misunderstand me. But sometimes what we need is not more knowledge. We just need to actually do what we know. You see, I think one of the biggest problems in, our, in the church today is if we would just do what we already knew, then we would start to grow. And it's not that we don't continue to gain knowledge when it comes to God's word, but what good is if your head is full of knowledge, but your heart never follows it? See, we have the ability to resist what we know. God has given us free will, and we have the ability to resist. His plan to change our lives and change the world if we choose to do so. Because even though the seed contains explosive, life-giving power, it is not an irresistible power. And that's why we get the first soil, which Jesus refers to as the hard path. See, in Jesus' day, a lot of times they didn't divide up fields with fences, but by paths. They would beat down some land to form a path, and then over time, people would walk on it, which would beat it down even more, and then the sun would shine on it, and uh, so forth, and get it really hard, and so you had these paths, and it would just happen. When you go out to sow seed, seed would inadvertently fall along the path that'd be in the middle of a field, or dividing a couple different fields, and so when this seed would fall on the path, a farmer knew nothing was going to happen with that seed. The only thing that was going to happen is the birds were going to come along and eat it. No crop was going to come from the sea that fell along the path because the sea was unable to penetrate that hard soil, that hard dirt. And what Jesus here is letting us know is that the hard heart is the one who would rather remain broken than change. Because when God's word hits us, when God's plan comes into our lives, we just shut down. And we let it bounce right off of us because we don't want to listen to it. And here's the thing. There's something about a hard heart that makes it hard for us to realize when we have one. There's something about having a hard heart that makes it hard for us to realize when we have one. Because a hard heart often lives in denial. And so let me give you some descriptions of a hard heart. A hard heart is when you're just going through the motions. Oh, you show up to church, you're here, and you agree with everything the Bible says in your head, but practically speaking, you're just going through the motions. It's when you're apathetic toward what God wants for your life, even stubborn, to where you know what God wants you to do, you know what God wants you to believe, and yet you're just like, no, I'm going to do my own thing. It's putting off godly wisdom from others. When somebody who you know is a God-fearing man or woman comes to you and says, hey, I think maybe you need to look at that or do this, and you're just like, no, I just don't want to hear it, I'm going to do my own thing. It's when you're highly critical of everyone else, but you never examine yourself. You're highly critical of the sins of other people. And I've met Christians before that want to rant and rave about how evil the world is out there, and yet they take very little time to examine their own lives. And here's the thing. They expect for the world who doesn't know Jesus to live like Jesus, and they themselves claim to know Jesus, and they're not striving to live like Jesus. It doesn't make any sense to me. And so they're quick to point out the flaws of everybody else, but they deny their own weaknesses. They deny their own hard heart. And I think what Jesus is telling us today is... We don't have to stay there. In fact, I think what Jesus is doing is he's handing us one of these. And he's saying, you can break up the hard ground around you. He's handing us a tiller and he's saying, you don't have to stay where you are. You can break up the hard dirt, the hard soil, and do something with it. And let me ask, what does this represent for you? What is it? Is this going to see a counselor? And the people you love have been telling you, hey, we think maybe you need some help, but you've been in denial. What does this represent for you? Is this going to seek medical help? Maybe going to see your physician? And them diagnosing you with maybe depression or anxiety, which there's nothing wrong with, but getting the help you need so you can move beyond that? What does this mean for you? Is it maybe having a tough conversation with somebody that you don't want to have that tough conversation with? Is it maybe forgiving somebody that you don't want to forgive? Is it joining a small group that can help hold you accountable? Is it putting filters on your computer? I don't know. What is it? What is this for you? What is it that you need to do to break up the hard ground that's underneath you? Because Jesus is saying you don't have to stay where you are. And here's my question. If you don't think you have a hard heart, but everybody else around you is kind of telling you that you are, what's it going to hurt if you go seek the help that they ask for you to seek? If you go see a counselor and the counselor says, nope, everybody else is wrong, then guess what? No change, right? What's it going to hurt? But it might really, really help you because I've been here before. And I know from experience, when you have a hard heart, it's really hard to realize you have a hard heart. But then we also find out about another type of soil, and that's the shallow soil. Jesus here refers to this as rocky places and when I was younger and I would study this passage and I heard about the rocky soil I thought about like dirt and rock that was all like mixed together like you did in a blender or something like that that's what I thought but that's not what Jesus is talking about when you look at the context here and actually when you understand the landscape and the area where Jesus ministered and lived there were a lot of these limestone ledges and there were areas of bedrock that would have a thin layer of topsoil on the top of them and so it wasn't like it was just rock and dirt mixed together but on the surface everything looked fine but you got beneath those couple inches of topsoil and all of a sudden you hit rock. And Jesus says that's the shallow soil. And listen to what he says. He says that, but since they have no root, because in the shallow soil they're not able to develop the root system that they need. They last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. See, this is superficial Christianity. Shallow Christianity. This is casual Christianity. When, hey, I believe in God and everything, but I really want to talk about the benefits and not the responsibilities that come with following Jesus. And what Jesus is letting us know is it's easier to start following him than it is to stay following him. Because if your faith is simply based on emotion or on feelings, you never have any convictions, then when trouble or persecution or hardship comes, you're going to fall away. And so what Jesus here is saying is, we need to do some work if that's you. Yep, that's right, it's a jackhammer. (laughs) And we need to break up this rock underneath. This thing weighs like 35 pounds, okay, so it's pretty heavy. Uh, Matt Thomason got it for me. He said, they had a 60-pounder. I was like, I'm glad you got this one instead. So anyway, I don't think I could have picked up the 60-pound, but still. Yeah, breaking up rock, that's hard work. It's messy, it's loud, it's dirty, and it takes some time. But Jesus is saying, if you really want to live a full life, I'll hand you the jackhammer. and We can break that rock up. And we can do more with your life than what you've experienced in the past. What is it that you need to break up? Fear? Selfishness? Laziness? Ego? Comfort? What is it that you need to break up? Now, maybe you fall into this next category, which is the crowded soil. This is the soil where when the seed lands on it, it looks good, again, on the outside. But there are other seeds in this soil that are bad seeds, seeds that produce weeds. And those bad seeds grow up alongside the good seed, and eventually the weeds, the thorns, choke and strangle this new life that God wants to give us. Jesus says this... He says, still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. See, it's not that we don't have God in our lives if we fall into this category. It's just we don't leave a lot of room for God in our lives. There are other things that are competing with him. And so really the question, if this is you, shouldn't be, is God in my life? Because he's there right now. But the question we need to ask is, where is God second in my life? Because in those areas of your life where he's second, that's where there's a weed growing, a thorn growing, that can start to strangle out what God wants to give you if you're not careful. And that's why I've got some Roundup here with me. (laughs) Because we all have weeds that we need to kill in our lives. Maybe we have weeds that we need to pull. And here's the thing, if you keep watering dirt that's got weeds in it, guess what? The weeds are going to grow as well. So you've got to get rid of the weeds, and then you water it so that the healthy crop can grow. And what's a weed in your life right now that you need to kill? What's a weed in your life that you need to uproot, that you need to get rid of, so that you can water what God wants you to have? Because remember what I said, God is a multiplier. He wants to see us produce something from Him, and that's why the last soil that Jesus mentions is the productive soil. Jesus says that others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it. It's not just that they hear it, they accept it, they personally accept it, and they use it, they produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. See, when Jesus' word lands on them, these are the people who are hungry for God. These are the people who are tired of trying to call the shots in their own life and failing. These are the people who want to live for something different than what this world offers them. And when God's plan hits their lives, watch out, because a harvest is coming. You see, a seed is hardwired for harvest. And that's what God's plan for our lives is hardwired to do as well. When you actually apply it, we're not going to instantly be perfect. And we're not going to be perfect on this side of heaven. But when we actually apply it and let God work in our lives, it can't help but produce a crop. And sometimes it takes some time. If you've ever farmed or gardened, you know you plant the seed, but something doesn't pop up instantly, right? Right? It takes some time, it takes patience, it takes perseverance, it takes endurance. And sometimes we accept God's word and we start to apply it. We're like, but I'm not seeing the change that I think I should see. And I'm not seeing a difference right now. And, you know, I'm still struggling with this. And why is it I'm still going through this? And how come I'm not experiencing the peace that I think I need to have? And so we start to question what's going on. And what we need to remember is just because we don't see immediate results doesn't mean God isn't working in the dirt. Because a lot of times God is working. And we can't see it. But if we'll just trust him and be faithful and continue to water and till and pull weeds and plow, God will do the greater work within us. And as I look around at our world today, I see so many people that I feel like are just living miserable lives. Now, they would never say that out loud, and they probably wouldn't even say that to themselves. But they're living miserable lives, and they know it deep down and they want something more. And what they want what they need is right in front of them. They just have to have ears to hear what God is telling them to do. Eyes to see what He wants them to accept. I, I was reading the other day a story by Leith Anderson. He was a Christian preacher and author. And he tells a story about when he was a kid growing, growing up outside of New York. He was a big Brooklyn Dodgers fan back in the day when the Dodgers were in Brooklyn. And he wanted to go see a game, and so his dad took him to his first game, and it happened to be a World Series game. He was so excited to see his Dodgers play. He was pumped, but then he left disappointed because the Dodgers were playing the Yankees, and they ended up losing. And not only did they lose the game, the Dodgers never even got a man on base. And years later, he was telling a friend of his who was a big baseball fanatic... He said, you know, my first game I went to, it's such a disappointment because we didn't get a man on base. And his friend looked at him and said, you were there? And he said, yeah, I was there. He said, you were there in 1956 in the World Series when Don Larson threw the only perfect game in World Series history? You were there to witness that? Now, you guys know, if you're baseball fans, you know, the Astros just had the second no-hitter, you know, this past World Series, but it still wasn't a perfect game. It was no-hitter, but not a perfect game. There is a difference. Still, Don Larson is the only perfect game in World Series history. And his friend said, you were there? And the truth is, he was. But because he was focused on the wrong team, he missed what was happening right in front of him. And so often in our lives, God is ready to produce a harvest in us. God's ready to do something more in us, do something greater in us. And the signs are all around that he wants to work and do something more within us. And we're focused on the wrong stuff. And because we're superficial or because we are hard-hearted or because we allow for other things to compete with him, the thorns and the weeds, we miss the life-changing plan of God, word of God, that is right in front of us, ready to take root and grow. What type of soil are you? I'd say at one point in my life, I've been all those soils. (laughs) My goal is to be the productive soil that produces a harvest for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today and this time we've had to open up your word. And I just pray, Father, that we will be those who live the reclaimed life, that we don't just settle as those who have been forgiven though we have that confidence and that joy but we are those who know that you also want to change us into who you created us to be so father may we receive your word with joy and may we produce a harvest for the sake of your son in jesus name i pray amen